Welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insights for your writing. I'm Andy Chamberlain, I'm a writer and creative writing coach, and in each episode, we'll be exploring an aspect of the craft together. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Tool Belt Handbook, which takes all the best advice and insights from the early episodes of the podcast and distills them into one volume. I hope this podcast is helpful to you on your writing journey. If you do find it useful, please do subscribe and consider leaving a review as well wherever you downloaded it. So thank you for joining me and here's this episode. And welcome to episode 166 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. My guest for this episode is the actor and scriptwriter Susan Isaacs. Susan has worked in television and has a master's degree in screenwriting. She moved to New York and worked in comedy there before moving back to California, her home state, to be close to her mother who had dementia. She turned some of the most difficult times of her life into a one-woman stage show and that led to a publishing deal. She is now professor of screenwriting at Dodge College of Film and Media Arts. In our conversation, we talk about the fact that successful stories need a compelling character who is relatable but is also in some way wounded and has a strong desire or goal. We discuss how story structure goes all the way back to Aristotle and has been adapted and refined by some of the great storytellers over the centuries. We discuss the fact that great stories have an internal and external journey for the main characters and how this works within the three-act structure. And we look at how stories live and thrive on specificity. We also talk about how script writing is both the same and different to novel writing in terms of structure. We discuss active verbs and reflect on how our stories are never going to be quite as horrible or wonderful as we think they are. I had a great time talking to Susan. I learned lots from my conversation with her. I hope you enjoy listening to it and learn a lot too. Here it is. So Susan, welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt. It's great to have you on. Really looking forward to having a conversation with you today. I wondered if we could start by you just telling me a little bit about yourself, your career, your background, the work you do, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, my name is Susan Isaacs. I am an actor and a writer. I started off, I went to film school, but UCLA but people kept asking me to be in their movies. So I kind of held out a fleece, which, which should I do? And within a couple of weeks of doing that, I had a, a gig on a TV show, um, a guest starring role on a TV show. Sure. And I rode that for a number of years and I got tired of the stories and, and things like that. And I, so I went back to, um, to film school. I got a master's degree in screenwriting and all along I was, I was acting. In fact, I did a lot of TV work while I was in graduate school. I think because I would go into the audition going, yeah, I don't really need this. I got something else going on and I, I don't need you. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, I gotta go. And so I booked a lot. I like, I worked on Seinfeld and uh, Drew Carey and um, a number of big shows um, during the time that I was in graduate school. And then I um, took an idea and pitched it to uh, Lifetime Network. This is right out of grad school. And they were only doing shows locally to New York. So I said, I had grown up in Southern California, except for a year abroad in London, actually. I, I thought I'm, I'm gonna take a risk. And of course, the minute that I moved there, everybody in development at Lifetime jumped ship or was fired. It was like sort of having 
<laughs> it's like all of a sudden, you know, your your um, prime minister gets a vote of no confidence and whatever you had going with him is gone. So I decided to stay anyway. I met my friends Jeannie Gaffigan and Tony Hale there. We had a sketch comedy group. So we did a lot of great stuff there. And then it hit the thing that you always do in your life where everything falls apart because that's just we'll get into this in story. Uh, there is a, a definite structure to story because there's a definite structure to life. Everything fell apart. I moved back to LA. My mother, my father had died. My mother um, had dementia. One thing after another, like all of my friends got their big breaks just as I lost all my um, agencies. And all my best friends were getting married just as I broke up with um, the guy that I thought I was going to marry. And so I moved back and did a solo show based on basically my life coming apart mm-hmm. that got a publisher's deal. And, um, I was kind of found a new track and I have st- still continue to work as an actor. Um, although now I've primarily been concentrating on teaching. I've been teaching screenwriting at the college level for the last 10 years. And I'm now, um, a full-time professor at Chapman university at Dodge college of film and media arts, which is a really a fantastic film school over, rated in the top five in the nation. And, and I've made more um, connections and meaningful relationships there as a teacher than I ever did sort of walking in as trying to audition as woman number five or whatever. And I've also become a much better writer too. So all that to say, you know, every, every journey has its own past, but I've definitely been doing the hero's journey walk this whole time. that you alluded a little bit to story in in what you said there and I want to talk to you a little bit about story and particularly your perspective on story I wouldn't have kind of zero in on the screenwriting in a minute but I wondered if we could start by just having you tell us a little bit about what you understand as the important elements of story and how story works I I appreciate this a massive question in some ways but yeah but how does how does story work from your point of view Actually, this is something that Don Miller said in his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, because he had gone to a story seminar, he'd gone to uh, Robert McKee's. And the basic gist is a character who wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. Mm. That is the basic gist. But it has to be a character that I care about. He has to have something compelling about him for me to watch. I have to relate to him in some way, or he's so incredibly compelling that I can't not watch him. I need to see some kind of wound or problem in his life, like to make me perk up and go, oh, uh oh, how's that going to go? He has to be dynamic and, and meaningful enough for me to spend my time with him. And he has to want that thing enough to go through all the pain that he's going to have to go through to get that. And if he's the same person by the end as he at the beginning, uh, why did you waste my time? I want to see some sort of internal nut that has to be worked out. Okay. And if that is not worked out in a way where it feels meaningful to me and relatable to me, then why did I go on that journey? So for me, a character with a, some kind of superpower, not to, not to be like, you know, kryptonite or, or not not to be like superman but somebody who's got something compelling or meaningful or likable or relatable enough with a wound that is somehow relatable goes on this journey and in the process transforms 
in some sort of meaningful way. And in the end, whether they get that thing that they wanted, more often than not, they get something deeper that they needed. So the outcome of whether they get that original thing or not, it's like, do how did they transform and how do I have I entered into it and feel a great sense of catharsis and connection? And that by the end that they have changed their world in some way. Sometimes the only change is that is that the audience is prompted to action through that. I mean, that is the gist. And there are all sorts of story gurus out there that name, give different names to the structure. Mm. Um, so much that one of my colleagues, students created, like it's called the arc plot. It's the classic, this is Aristotle's poetics. It goes back that far. Joseph Campbell in a here with the hero with a thousand faces gave it 12 um, steps in the structure. Shakespeare used five acts. Some people use three acts, blah, blah, blah. It's all the same story. Macbeth wants to become king. And he does become king. And then, you know, his life falls apart. And, it, you know, the wages of sin is death, or however you want to say it. But if he didn't have that tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day, you know, if he mm. didn't have that cathartic speech, it would be like, well, that's a bummer. You know, why did I, why did I, wow, why did I watch that? But we, it is just this cathartic moment. But that is the basic structure. I think there is something, an organic logic to it. Why so many story gurus have a version of it. They just maybe put a, a different kind of name on the steps along the way and try to trademark. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's the same story we see in myths and religions and stories yeah. from time immemorial. Yeah. So one of the things I wondered if you, you were alluding to there, and perhaps you could tell me I'm on the I'm on the right path or not here mm. with this. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think there's there's lots of different ways to describe how story works, and they're different descriptions for broadly the same thing, broadly yeah. the same model, and it's been the same model like forever for thousands of years, and the same things attract people in terms of story forever. Mm. But I think perhaps you were hinting at a kind of there's an internal journey and an and an, and an external journey Absolutely. in that. Do you want to do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Sure. What you know, you introduce a character and what we like about them or or, or compelled. There's there's something a wound, something we hate or we're afraid of, and then along comes this call to adventure, the inciting incident, and that's the the, the object of desire or the object of need, someone is propelled on a journey against their, they either have to go on the journey or forced mm. on the journey. Mm. Uh, you know, um, Frodo's got to get the ring to Mount Doom. Yeah. He didn't want to, yeah. but he's compelled. Yeah. And, you know, then it becomes a thing that he must do and it overtakes him and he, he wished this ring could never come to him, right? Or it is, you know, the object of desire, a, a love interest or whatever that thing happens to be, thing that they want. And the external journey is the pursuit of the object of desire. And I, this is, in classic structure, you have a midpoint, you're building up to some sort of climax, was usually, you know, that we meet the character in their ordinary world, this thing comes along, and either mm -hmm. they are forced to go on this journey, or they desire to go on this journey. And then that sets up in act two, are they going to get this thing or this person? And what we usually see in the first half of Act Two, um, however you want to divide it up, 
you know, I mean, there's act two part A into act two part B, and you can call that four acts, whatever. But they are pursuing this thing that they want. And by the mid midpoint, they either fail terribly or they succeed. But you have said enough in the internal journey to know that there are other things going on. Mm. And then the second half, you, if you're the God of the story, you've got to tear that down and get them to look like, dude, it's not, it's not about that. You need to deal with you. And that slope down to the crisis at the end of act two, by the end of act two, we figure out, did they solve the case? Did they get the girl? Did, you know, what is the thing? But you are driving them to see that the whole, you got yourself into this thing, this pursuit that you're going on because of you and that wound. Mm. And are you going to deal with it or not? Mm. And in a really good story, that final act may be the last piece of the external. You know, they solved the case. Now that they solved the case, are they going to survive the villain? You know, they're all surrounded. Um, are they going to survive this thing? Um, but they've got a call on something they in deep within them that they have buried, that they have not wanted to look at, they're forced to look at. And with this thing, they are going to resolve it once and for all. But the okay. third act wraps up both the external and the internal, maybe yeah. in different beats. But yes, the internal is you put this character on this journey, this external quest, but you have an ulterior motive as the, the, the puppet master to get them to look deeper at that. Yeah, Arthur Miller, they were all my sons. Yeah. You know, William yeah. Loman had to recognize that he was responsible for all of them. You know, um, one of my favorite movies um, that I use a lot for structure because it is such a perfect structure is the movie L.A. Confidential. And there are yeah. more than one protagonist. They are pitted against each other. But as one says um, to the other in the big, sh um, right before the calm before the storm, is all I ever wanted to do was measure up to my father. That, you know, confessional. All I ever wanted mm -hmm. to. He was completely driven by just trying to live up to his father. And um, so, you know, it's one of these perfect films. An external and an internal. And he's the guy, I mean, some people listening to this will have seen LA Confidential and perhaps some, some won't, but I think the character you're referring to, is he the guy who, he plays it absolutely by the book. And yeah, Ed Exley. He doesn't deviate. Yeah. And then, uh, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, but yeah, well, let's say he does something at the end of the film, which is totally outside. <laughs> against. Yes. And that's some great character motivation because the um the captain asks him three questions and he's no i wouldn't do that no i wouldn't do that yeah. no, I wouldn't do that you know because he's going to do it by the book yeah and um at the end he does he's in fact in the script um uh, brian helgelin writes and actually finally says yes yes it's written in the action which of course you don't see you you, you don't hear those words but you see that action and so that's why it's such a masterful piece of yeah yeah i mean it's a brilliant film isn't yeah. it? I think I'd, I would, I'd, I recommend, I mean, I don't know what certificate it is, but people listening to this who are not too young can go and watch that film. It's, it's a great film. It's a great entertainment and a great learning, a great vehicle for learning, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many things I feel I could ask you on the back of that. And I want to, but I think what I'd like to do is to move into the area where, where you're, you know, you, you've got some expertise. So We've talked about story a little bit and telling a story and showing a story in the classic sense, but how does that differ from script writing? Or, I mean, how is it, how is it the same? How is a script a story and how is script, is that, what are the unique things about script? 
Well, um, I would say classic structure. Um, you'll see this in novels, plays, screen screenwriting, um, in in a feature, in in a, a what we're now in the platinum age of television, as they're calling it, in which it's not just you know the same characters doing the same thing every week, and we love to watch that. I mean, maybe there's the Big Bang theories out there, but we're Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones did fantastically well until the final season. And then they just tried to cram this whole entire epic world into six episodes and they bombed because they didn't take the time with that. But we're in this era. It's all the same classic structure, hero's journey. So it it's all the same in that respect. I think in script writing, there's a, what is it? St. Augustine, I think said, I'm sorry, this letter is so long. I didn't have time to write a shorter one. Yeah. In screenwriting, and this is either, uh, whether it's a feature or a television script is very austere. One page of a script is equal to one minute of screen time. You do not have a time in Mar Margaret Mitchell in Gone with the Wind had an entire chapter devoted to Tara the plantation, you know, open on old plantation. Mm, you just mm. don't, you have to have a great economy of words. So you do not have much room at all to describe and, and engage the reader. Now it used to be that scripts were basically just the recipe card for the people making the movie. Where are we Are inside or outside? What, where's the location? Who's in it? What do they say? So it was very austere, but scripts have become their own forms of entertainment and even literature. Um, and so there's a little bit more room. You also have to entertain the reader to get them to want to make it. So you have to entertain them. So you have to be great creative in how you describe it, it, it very economically. You know, you get very good at choosing good verbs. As I tell my mm -hmm. students, brevity is the soul of wit, so be witty. Cut your adverbs, don't. Now, of course, the first draft, I really encourage my students just, you know, get the crappy first draft out. If your sure. character is writing cliches, fine. You know, get it on the page because a crappy idea on the page, one crappy idea that's on the page is worth a thousand brilliant ideas that are only in your head. So just get it out there. It might be, I just finished a script, our, our first draft was 140 pages and it needed to be between 90 and 100. And, you know, it's now at 108. So you just belch it out onto the page. But the mm. thing with screenwriting is it's very, very austere and uh, sparse. And you have got to learn to kill your darlings. Mm. Mm. So it's, I mean, it sounds like a similar process to, to the novel where, you know, the, the, there's the crappy first draft, as you said. And it kind of, it doesn't matter. Write the damn thing, get it out. Yeah. And then... Then you can come at it and rip bits out of it and and yeah. do whatever. And, it, and maybe maybe script writing is some kind of black belt extreme form of ah. you know novel writing in that you know a hundred pages or something. I, I mean, you said one page was a minute of screen time. A minute yeah. of screen time. Loads of things can happen in a minute of screen time, can't they? I would I would have thought. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, if you've ever just set a timer, I mean, I had a student, um, he was describing a, a guy walking down a corridor and it took two pages. I was like, we are not going to watch a guy walking down the hallway of his film for two minutes, unless it's a horror and there are other things happening. But all I see him is taking a step and a step. Mm -hmm. um, and I want you to set a timer. 
Now he came, he's a novelist head. He has a, he has the, the, and as a novel or on the page of a novel where you can do like step next line, step next line, you can do that. So he's very creative, a beautiful writer, but I really had to drill into him. That's, that's a great skill. That's a great creative thinking. You, you need to you need you need to put on a different set of clothes to do this. You know, take yeah. that hat off and put on this hat. You know, I don't want to squelch somebody's creativity. It's just like so. Save that for if you if you do this as a series because you'll have space. Because instead of having to do it in 110 page or 120 pages, you'll have 10 episodes or whatever. But yes, it's it's much more austere and you just have to learn how to put on a different hat to write that. Sure. Just so that we all know, I nearly said just so we're all on the same page, which would have been an unintended pun. But yeah. just so we know what, what we're talking about with the script, are the words that the actor's going to say in the script? And yes. The, is, how much description around that is there? It sounds like it must be absolutely at its bare minimum. So it'd be just like, there's a one line, it's called a slug line or a scene heading. It's just, are we inside or out? Is it interior, exterior? What's the location? What's the time of day? And then you have a few lines. I mean, the opening of Wally, you know, there is some dialogue. We do hear the song from Hello Dolly. We do hear voiceover of Fred Willard, you know, from the, the things that are there, but there's, you know, it's a lot of action. So it depends on the, the, the script, but you might have an opening sequence in which there isn't any dialogue, but you better be entertaining. Usually if we're talking about a, a paragraph of description of, of action slash description. You don't want a paragraph that goes on for eight lines. Break it up. Yeah. And if I've just taken two pages to describe what this is, set a timer for, and, and just clock out 120 seconds. Is that how long this should take? Be more brief. We also will use shot headings to break up the action. Um, so we're focusing the character's attention. We're on Wally picks up a pile of trash. You know, the sky is full of litter. We might use a shot heading to just to direct the reader's attention to break it up. But there's a thing about you don't want to use up all the oxygen on the page. You want the page to breathe. You need white space. You need to let the reader breathe. And then there's also what's called a character element, which is the name of the character in all caps. And then the dialogue has very narrow margins. It's only about three inches across. And that's how a page is broken up. Anybody who, if you, if you're interested in script writing and you go into some of these places where you've picked up a PDF or there's lots of scripts, banks, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. You don't want to use up all the white space. You want there to be room to breathe. You also just don't want to have characters talking forever. If I see the page and it's just characters talking back and forth and there's no action or description, then you're not telling me what's happening. You're just, you, you know, some people are too dialogue heavy. Some people are too action heavy. Mm -hmm. You have to balance that. And uh, when you, when you talk about readers in the context of scripts, are you talking about like producers and directors and people with budget, that, that kind of thing? So you're talking about the people you might need to pitch the thing to. Right. Who are you trying to seduce, entertain, intertwine, and get them? Who are you trying to get to read the script? So that's why, why script writing has evolved a bit more from the, not just the recipe card, but the, the, the piece of literature that enchants mm-hmm. um, and entertains the reader so much that they're laughing or they're drawn into it. It could be just the first, you know, a script reader. 
where your script gets sent first. It could be a reader. It could be by the time it gets to a producer, director, star, somebody that you want them to say, this is great. I want mm. to make this. Sure. So sure. entertain them. And yes. that's why yeah. you just have to be clever. Use really, you know, cut all your adverbs and your adjectives and find out another way to say it. Mm. I had one student write the character walks forward in a confident manner. That's six words, whether you could say struts, parades, stomps, you know, yeah. Yeah. strong verbs. I had something in, in a, a comedy that I'm just writing is like just this disaster that happens on a, a submarine dock and somebody's chasing after it. And we just write, you know, the guy chases after the rope and I just wrote, too late, bro, way too late. You know, because the disaster's already happened. So there's yeah. room to entertain and have fun. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, every word massively counts, doesn't it, in yeah. dialogue? And you've talked about like really strong active verbs. Are there, is there like one or two other things that, like, if we're doing, if I was writing a script, I need to bear in mind for the dialogue to really keep it as, as you know, to make every word earn its place, if you like. Yeah. Well, and I do want to say, I just want to encourage people who are writing, give yourself the freedom to write a really bad draft with terrible dialogue, yeah. full of cliches, full of exposition, characters saying exactly what they mean. Just allow yourself to get that out of your system because you need to get it on the page. Sure, sure. Okay. So that's the thing. And also the thing is like, it's never going to be as horrible or as wonderful as you anticipate. It's always going to be somewhere in the middle. Then when you go back and you think, you know, you need to tell us who this character is. But if you, you know, sometimes a character states exactly what they want. But what are you setting up for the reader going, that's not how I perceive him. Like somebody we've just watched, you know, just to speed up people, malign them. And then they're talking, you know, they go to do a speech. I really like to help people. What are you setting up that makes us go, set forward and go, oh, when I write, I, I think of an actor that embodies that character because that that's a fleshed out person. Hmm. And I can hear yeah. them in my head better. Doesn't mean that yeah. you that the script will only work if Melissa McCarthy plays that character or Amy sure, Poehler sure. or whoever. Sure. But it gives me uh, an ethos, a, 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 a spirit of somebody to to write in yeah. the voice, in the vein of that yeah. person. It, so as you whittle that down, there's necessary exposition. If you're dealing with the scene, we have to get the exposition out there. How do you do that in an entertaining way? I tell my my students. Two people in the scene only have part of the story. And they're like, well, this, well, that's true. But what about that? So how can you make it a discovery for the characters or mm -hmm. find humor in it? Um, there's a really funny scene in one of the Mission Impossible uh, movies with um, um, Simon Pegg and uh, the guy who played Haw Hawkeye or as uh, Hawk, he was in, um, the Hurt Locker, I can't remember his name. He's in the Avengers movie or whatever, where um, uh, Simon Pegg is talking about how he's gonna turn off the computer and this guy's gotta leap over the fan um, and it's really hot. He's like, so you're gonna leap over the fan, it's really hot and, and I'll catch you. And he's like, wait, wait, I'm gonna leap over a giant fan that, 
well, yeah, I mean, you know, but I'll catch you. But if, wait, what? And it's funny. And they're getting the exposition about what's going to happen, but they do it in a really funny way. So this is the kinds of things you work out on your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And yes, there's a lot of drafts. You want to get that draft perfect. So that's the thing that you, that you work on. You want the dialogue to represent the character. Does it sound like the character? Do they all sound the same? Yeah. Do they sound too much like you? Woody Allen got to a place where all his characters sounded like Woody Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. this is a guy, you talk about the in, external and the internal story. This is a man who refuses to look at his internal life. Yeah. I was thinking about when, when you were saying you th- thought of an actor, I was thinking back to LA Confidential and Danny DeVito had to play that character. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you look at it, he's oh, so perfect. And in fact, I think, you know, you could, if you thought of Danny DeVito, you could write the lines for that character. You could, oh, right. That's perfect, isn't it? It's That was the example I thought of there. Well, what's interesting is they cast Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe as they were relative unknowns. And it's so well done. You know, one guy is a guy who thinks he's, they're both cops. They hate each other. One thinks with his fists. Um, he likes to help women in distress, which we like about him, but he's very violent, which scares us. The other guy just really wants to help people and is very idealistic about, I'm not going to become a corrupt cop. And we like that about him, but he has this very ruthless ambition and that scares us. Mm. Um, You know, we're also scared for him going, oh gosh, if he's that lily white and living in the ivory tower, when is he going to figure it out? And then he also has this edge where he's brutally ambitious. And then there's uh, Kevin Spacey's character who is just in it for himself, but he's deprecating and he knows it. And he, you know, he's self-deprecating and then eventually decides to do the right thing. So each one of those has a journey and the dialogue is written very specifically to that character. So I say for, if you're writing a script is like, even or whatever you're writing is speak it out loud. Yeah. You know? And just to stay on characters for a moment, there was a couple of things I was going to ask you. I don't know whether we can meld these two together. Maybe they're two separate things. First question, I guess, is in the context of scripts, how do you make a fictional character real? Like the, the, those characters that we've been talking about um, in that particular film, and there are lots of other examples. They they just have a reality about them straight away. Yeah. How do you do that in script in the script context? Well, uh, Netflix put out a pitch guideline. Um, this is for their series pitch. You know, if you want to pitch a series, and there's a certain number of pages that are there that you know, they expect you to devote to the story. But right away, you know, what, who's the character? Yeah. And yeah. what's the- theme what's the thing that you're getting at underneath and to make a character really real you need to spend time thinking what is their backstory what what you know how tall are they or whether what is their speech like you need to spend time thinking flesh them out what kind of house do they live in what's the thing that bothers them most of all what do they think is the worst thing that could happen to them you know going into the story what is yeah. their idea of like the, the, the thing that they would want the most? What's the thing that they would like, you know, dread happening to them? And how can you make that happen to them? And then the other thing is that stories live in specificity. It's it's the specificity of like, are the, you know, they're, are they eating ramen? Or are they um, taking chicken nuggets out of the freezer and eating them frozen? Also with dialogue, uh, we had a line, um, it was a, trying to make a joke about Cuba and the guy who wrote it said, well, you know, in Cuba, they, they, they didn't get any car parts. 
sent to them after you know the embargo. So they're all driving around these 50s cars. And he had he had written the word car parts. And I'm like, now that's not funny. But if you say, you know, Cuba has no money, they don't have enough money to fix their Edsels. You know, Edsel was yeah, that term. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Edsel is more vivid than car parts. Yeah. Or they can't even yeah. fix their drivetrain, you know, or or carburetor. Um, so pick specificity, specificity yeah. in language. Yeah. Um, makes things come alive. The other thing is you better put yourself in it. You know, that's another thing is right. If, if who inspires you write for an actor, you know, a person, you know, who do you see in your mind? That's the quickest way to make something vivid and real. And then for a character, you really need to think about what does he really want versus what does he really, really need? And how can you shape the story? So he comes to realize that what he wants isn't necessarily what he really needs, or it might be the same outcome, but make him to dig it deeper. And the whole point of the hero's journey is the journey of maturation, of discovery, of from innocence to experience. Um, mm whatever that journey is that makes the story meaningful. I mean, Breaking Bad, I think was one of the best crafted series out there. And the very opening scene, we meet Walter White in the chemistry lab. He says, chemistry is all about change. Mm -hmm. We are setting up a guy. Uh, this is what uh, Vince Gilligan said. Yeah. I'm going to take him. I'm going to turn, take Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. <laughs> it's Macbeth. Yeah. I, I mean, he goes on a journey. What a journey he goes on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is the journey. You're setting a guy up. He says he's doing it for his family, but in the end, he, he's a tremendous amount of hubris. Yes. Yeah. What happened with gray matter. Yeah. He finally admits to his wife at the end, I did it because I liked it and I was good at it. Yeah. And he also has a closing salvo where he does something magnanimous and saves jesse you yeah know? yeah yeah he does so yeah i i yeah. thought it was just so perfectly crafted yeah it's it's brilliant isn't it i what you're saying reminds me of one of the one of the early um episodes of my podcast i was talking about character descriptions as needing to be sparse and specific and obviously you were talking oh. about specificity then and for me it's like it's like i'm gonna it's not necessarily the essence of the character, but there's going to be two or three things which are really, they don't have to be weird, but they have to be like, oh, okay. So I've got to, I've, that's telling me something. I mean, like, I loved your like, this guy just takes nuggets out of the freezer and eats them or something. There's, it's, it's quite a right. memorable, it's quite a memorable thing. So I try and go for sparse description, but really specific, really detail focused with the characters. So it sounds like that works across novels and, 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 and script writing. Um, yeah. I do want to as well talk about comedy, which I think is really important. I'm, I am I am a massive, massively impressed by people who do comedy well, and I'm and I'm fascinated by how it works. And I wondered if you could just give us a, um, some of your thoughts on really good comedy, perhaps in the context of script and in in the context sure. of action. How do how do you think it works? Sure. Well, comedy is all about setting up expectations and and then breaking them. That's what a setup and a payoff is all about you know, you just think of the rule of three, you, you, you set up something, you establish it with the third, second thing, and then you twist it. Comedy, there's all sorts of comedy, whether it's just slapstick, things going wrong. I mean, the whole thing is 
comedy is tragedy plus time. Comedy is tragedy, uh, you know, on, on speed, something that it could be misadventure, but finding the humor in it. But I think also comedy is bearing, you know, the painful, painful truth Mm. Um, and shocking people with the truth of it you know the honesty of it this character of this script that we just wrote she's brilliant um she is an aide to the secretary of the navy and she just she thinks out loud so she says what she's thinking in front of you know like a you know in the middle of the situation room it's like all you need for that to go tits up is you know like right in the middle of like all these people oh, oh did i say that but she's brilliant. right in front of the grand admiral or yeah. somebody yeah 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 right in front of like the president you know <laughs> okay all you need to do that go like woo yeah. oh yeah no hi oh yeah did i say that you know so that's a thing um and it's the setup you know a guy makes he say how'd you get in here you're my dad you know um so it's it's the setup and the payoff um that goes into that specificity again um, yeah, yeah. A, a snack or a gherkin on a cracker, you know, it's like, how do this, the, the words sound? Are they, do they have a percussion in the sound? The same thing with the rhythm of dialogue is read it out loud. You need percussiveness. Um, the guy that I'm writing with, he's a great story guy. He's not a dialogue guy. So he'll write something. And I'm like, that's, you put one too many words in it. Take that word out and the rhythm is better. But comedy is a combination of setups and payoffs of shock in a sense, uh, there's a shock of what we're not expecting. The shock of what we do, of, of what we get is something that we're all like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Really great comedy, the act, the characters are playing it for real. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking as well in, in, in that aspect of comedy of back to the kind of historics, the historic example of the court jester or the fool who was able to say anything you know, and was allowed to say anything and, and could speak truths, which nobody exactly. was allowed to say. And it's, it's like comedy speaks a truth with, which nobody's allowed to say almost, I think, sometimes. Good comedy. The best comedy does. The best comedy tells the truth. Um, yeah. I had a care. I had a, a couple of students who their, their thesis scripts were like very, very body to say, to say the least. I mean, raunchy, I would say. And one of them um he pitched the idea his first year as a grad and we're like that's a saturday night live sketch that's not a movie and then he worked on it and my colleague uh is just like what is it really about mm. and it's mm. get it like this is a core about the guy who doesn't know what it is to be a man and it's hilarious it's body it's raunchy but but underneath it, it has such a soul. I mean, I think Jed Apatow mm. is great at that. Like the 40 year old virgin is underneath. It's a guy who's like, I, I realized why I was waiting for the, you know, I was waiting for you or knocked up. It's about, you know, these two people who really, you know, they form a family. The best comedy has a deep truth that, and, and relatability, you know, sure. but it's just, yeah. it's so good. And it's interesting, isn't it, how it's an impossible art, second guessing what the people want to see or how right. to entertain the people, I suspect. Some people are good at it, maybe. I don't know. Some people can half guess what's going to work and, and they just hit on something. And right. I wonder, I, I don't know, it makes me wonder whether actually people want, do people want more escapism? And we're talking about this, we're, we're having this conversation in July 2021. So we're kind of, God willing, most of the way through the, the COVID pandemic. What do the people want at the moment? What do you think? 
Well, people always want a good murder, a murder mystery. That's a kind of form of escape. It's rubbernecking where, you know, that's my favorite genre to watch is mystery suspense. Yeah. Reality shows. We have like the, the real housewives of, you know, name your city. That's a kind of form of voyeurism and escapism. I think it's, yeah. I, I'm, I'm proud to say I have never watched. The only reality show I've watched is the Great British Baking Show. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why do we like that? There's suspense, but there's also, there's creativity. There's also kindness in the way that people support each other. People want, are starved for meaning. Mm. Mm. And it's a fine line, I guess, because you don't want to sort of tip into the wrong kind of sentimental sentimentalism and, right. and unreality and inauthenticity. I hate that. I, ah. Yeah. Yeah. A friend recommended this show called Manifest, where this plane lands, uh, like, you know, there's something happens and they, they land and it's been five and a half years since they took off. And they, you know, and I, she said, it's really good. I, uh, I watched like 40 minutes. I, I can't take it. It's just too cloying. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. You know, I can't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, people long for meaning for, and I would say like, like, again, um, Breaking Bad had great meaning I, in, until mm. Game of Thrones. Um, I mean, I thought the final ending with, you know, Drogon just like, you know, completely obliterating the throne. That was the meaning. And that was yeah. a terrific moment. That was a terrific moment. Even um, Jon Snow, you know, his what he did with the woman who was his queen. I don't know if anyone saw it. I mean, that was a powerful moment. It and and that was the meaning of the show right there. And that's yeah. the yeah. bit of the self. I mean, I thought Tyrion should have been, um, you know, made king. I mean, it was like obvious to me. Why put the three eyed raven on the throne? That was just lame. It was stupid. Like, come on, dude. And that's another thing is if you set up something and don't pay it off. Yeah. Then then or you pay off something you haven't set up and i think that whole story did not set that up yeah you're not paying off what is um what did i oh um promising young woman that had a very bold and 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 shocking ending but it paid it off yeah yeah it was the it was not it was not the predictable ending but it was the inevitable final fulfilling moment for yeah. that character. And yeah. it paid it off like masterfully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the audiences are not very forgiving, are they? Of, no. you know, you, you've set it up and you haven't paid it off. Yeah. It's, gotta be, it's like, I, it might have even been, I might have read somewhere, like, I think it was Aristotle or one of those kind of old Greek guys that said, you know, the, the ending should be something which, surprises the audience but they go yeah of course how else could it be well, exactly this is, it. this is what was going to happen um yeah so we're coming to the end of, of our conversation now we've, we've nearly had our time but i wonder if there's anything particularly perhaps from the in the context of script script writing are there one or two other things that you would say you know if you, you want to get into script writing here are some these things are really important you've got to, this is a this is core stuff that maybe we haven't touched on well, um, I don't know if there's anything we haven't touched on, except that you need to be prepared to do it for a long time. You also need to be prepared that you, even if you're very successful, you could make a great living writing movies that never get made. And be, because just the nature of the business. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, that's just the way it goes. So 
it could be that where do you find another avenue for these things? Maybe you novelize that story and you publish it as a as a novel. And sure. who knows? Then you might publish it as a no novella, and then some other people pick it up. This is a great novella. Let's make it into a movie. So you need to be prepared to work really hard and not make a living at it until uh, I mean, it might be ten years. Yeah. So you just need to say, you ten years are going to come anyway. You are yeah. going to, God willing, you survive the next 10 years. So what do you really want to do? Just devote yourself to it. Be prepared. Give yourself the freedom and get over yourself. You're not going to poop gold your first draft. Allow yourself to write the bad first draft. Um, <laughs> give yourself permission um, to write cliches and then go and work on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you're going to be in it for the long haul. Okay, so Susan, just as we come to the end then, people want to find out more about you and about your work. How would, how would they do that? Um, you can go to my website, thesusan.com, as in the one and only Susan, thesusan.com. You can reach me there. I, I do, I, I haven't updated it in a long time, <laughs> but you can just find out more and, you know, yeah. there's a contact link if you want to reach me there or just email me at susan at thesusan.com. That is that has got to be one of the best email addresses in the world, right? isn't it? Susan right? at thesusan.com. At Susan. <laughs> well, people always spell my last name wrong. People are so it just made more sense. Okay. <laughs> um, Susan, thank you very much for your time. It's been great You're to welcome. talk to you today. Thanks for, for sharing all this stuff with us. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. You can find out more about the podcast at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find details of the Creative Writers Toolbelt handbook, which takes all the best advice and insight from the early episodes of the podcast and distills it into one volume. I hope this episode has been helpful to you on your writing journey. If it has, please consider leaving a review for the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast wherever you download it. Thank you for listening to this episode and goodbye.